0: Support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Kyle Photography Podcast. And start this off by just letting people know how it is that you got into photography, you know, at what age, and what was your reason for picking up a camera for the first time. So, for you, what was it?
1: The way I got started in film photography was uh, by making short films in high school. And I realized, you know, I was the one who always wanted to be the camera guy. And um, uh, what really like the catalyst for starting film photography happened years later on the job. Um, I was working at this studio and, uh, this, uh, this guy named Caleb, who sometimes appears in my videos. Um, he, I sat next to him on like my first day at this new job and, um, he, uh, he and another coworker of ours, um, would always talk about shooting 35 millimeter film about how they want to shoot uh, 120 in medium format and, um, et cetera, et cetera, all the cool things you can do with film, all the movies being made on film. And I was like, okay, uh, you know, at first I was like, I don't know about this. Um, I'm not really into photography. I'm more into like making short films and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, I, so I thought it was kind of like a gimmick, like how record records are coming back for record players. Right, like right, right, yeah. it's an outdated technology. So like, it, you know, is it really coming back that strong? I don't know. Um, but, uh, I had a vacation coming up to Iceland. This was in 2015. And, um, you know, I'd hung out with them long enough to uh, let them convince me to bring along like some film cameras. So I brought along two disposable film cameras. And um, yeah, I mean, when I got those shots back, I was just like blown away. I'm, I was blown away by them. I mean, they're just shitty disposable cameras, but you know, they produced <laughs> this like work that was like incredible. I didn't even realize like, it just turned like average pictures into like great looking photos. I think I thought at the time, you know, the lab did all the color, all the scanning, all the sharpening, everything and developing, of course. Um, So I was like, okay, this, this is interesting. I think like a week after I got those photos back, I bought a Canon AE one that I still use to this day. And um, I just dove headfirst into the world of film photography, learning about the different film stocks and, kind of all the possibilities. It also helped that um, there was a pretty big YouTube film presence. Um, I kind of learned by watching Matt Day um, and uh, George from negative feedback a lot. So that was kind of... That's kind of how it got started for me. I think I've always been a visual person and film photography has just given me that outlet to, to uh, create.
0: So are you not missing the 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 desire to do moving images as opposed to stills, or are you completely converted now to doing stills? Oh, I'm definitely missing it.
1: Um, the The issue that I'm running into is that I've become such a perfectionist in like a bad way on these YouTube videos that like if I'm gonna ever do like a short film again, which I hope to, it just needs it, something about it needs to excite me in some way. Like either we're using like this really cool lens. Which I don't know if you know, but like cinema lenses are like stupidly expensive. Yeah. Um, so that's like a problem number one of like a thousand. And um, I don't know, just like I grind out these YouTube videos one every two weeks or so, and it's just it takes up all my like free time to do them. There's so much work on the back end as I'm as I'm sure you know, editing like a podcast and everything. There's so much editing work that goes into it that people kind of just don't, they don't realize actually goes down. I guess.
0: Yeah. Oh, so Okay. So let's go down the YouTube route. What was it that made you want to first start making YouTube videos?
1: Yeah, I think I was just in a creative lull at my job. Um, and kind of felt like, uh, you know, really I was just like a, I guess you would say a pawn for like these, you know, big studio executives that made all the, uh, final decisions on how, uh, a shot should look at work. And when I was doing work, um, so I was just kind of like the guy that did it, not so much. They didn't really care to use like my creative vision for any shots. It was more just like, make it look like this. And that's that. You don't really have a say in it. Like you were saying earlier with, um, with wedding photography, it gets old pretty quick. Yeah. So I was like, well, I need to find some sort of, uh, you know, other creative outlet. I feel like I just reached a point where I'd seen like every film photography YouTube video that there was at that point on YouTube. I was so, I was so into it. I was like so bored at work that you know I just left them on repeat while I was like uh, working. Um, so I was like, this doesn't seem too difficult. I have a background in making short films. Maybe I can give it a shot. The first video I did was a Cinestill 800T review, and it was garbage. It was so bad. <laughs> it was just me walking around. It was so boring. It was. I hadn't figured out anything yet, and I was like. Just me walking around my neighborhood, and like no one cares about that. I ended up taking that down, and there was another video that I took down, and I hadn't really kind of found my stride at that point yet. Like, there's a lot of humor in my videos, um, and that was just not a factor in those in those early videos. Um, And I kind of realized like the best parts of those videos were like the one or two jokes that just randomly happened to happen. So, I was like, well, what if I was able to continue to do like film photography in that sense, but instead um, add more humor to it, more topical humor for film photography and kind of look at the trends that exist in film photography, why they exist, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So, I just started incorporating more humor and kind of found my rhythm and uh, found a formula that I thought worked and uh, just been cruising on that. Uh, ever since, so really, it's just a creative outlet for me, you know, something I have total and complete say over, um, and no company or industry, you know, has uh, has any creative input on. I guess I could, I should say.
0: Outside of the YouTube stuff, how often do you actually shoot film just yourself?
1: Not, um, not as often as I would like. I actually just went yesterday to cruise around the neighborhood with uh, some friends and shoot. So that was awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's basically like every time I travel somewhere, I want to shoot some film just to like document it. But then if I'm traveling somewhere, it's such a rare opportunity that I'm like, well, you know, maybe I should um, make a video out of it too. So it ends up, it turns into this like video slash photo expedition. Um, I would say, I'd say it's 50 50. 50% of the time I'm, you know, Uh, Shooting photos with the intention of making a video, and then the other fifty percent of the time, I'm shooting photos just because I want to. And uh, it might go into like a portfolio or you know something. I always kind of felt I've talked to other people who do the film uh, YouTube thing too, and uh, I think it's pretty common across the board that everyone kind of feels like if you have to make a video while you're shooting photos and you're trying to think of two things at once. Something always suffers usually it's like your your photos just are like never as good as you had hoped, whereas like if you 're just out shooting with friends having a good time you know and the whole objective is to just walk around and take photos, then I think that's when I produce like my best work
0: well i had a I had a short run of making. Uh, youtube videos for probably about nine months and i tried to do stuff about um like portrait tips and and things like that and because my sense of humor tends to be kind of soul destroying i i kind of pulled that away and went for just kind of being fairly clinical with it and tried to be as helpful as possible and i just remember Mm -hmm. getting like next to nowhere with it but also getting just some really vicious comments and people talking about the shit and and I was just like, you know what, this <laughs> yeah. isn't worth me like holding back um, and making all these videos just for like three people to watch them and one of them to call me a dickhead. So <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I went down the podcast route because at least then I can hide behind the talent of the people that I'm speaking to at least. Yeah. With your, with your, what you're saying about like traveling and making a video and something has to give, has it become a thing where you've, I mean, it sounds a little bit like maybe you resent the the process of creating the video.
1: Hmm. Um, I wouldn't say I resent it. It's just an additional thing I have to do. And I don't know, I I don't know your experience. You can probably attest to this to some degree, but people kind of change, you know, subconsciously, they kind of change their personality when like a camera comes out. And so, uh, I don't know, just making the videos is, is like, that's not my primary focus. My primary focus is to take photos that I'm, I'm proud of, I suppose. Um, whereas like the video is just kind of an additional thing, but then I also got to make sure I get enough coverage that I can actually make a cohesive video and make something that isn't, you know, isn't just me talking to a camera the whole time and has actually has some like b roll and, you know, cutting between and stuff like that. Um, so no, I don't, I don't resent it. It's just a, another thing that I have to do. I hate the actual filming of the video part. But I'm a huge. I, I really like the editing part, even though it takes forever. It's um, probably m- my favorite part of the the whole video making process.
0: Well, let's let's talk about your photography a little bit. Um, what is it that you most like to actually photograph? What is it that, like, if right now you could go out and photograph something, what would be the subject you choose?
1: I don't think there's like a word for it. I think it's. Um... I guess landscapes is probably the closest thing. Um, I really, so I was shooting yesterday in um, some neighborhoods around here and it was during, uh, I guess, sunset magic hour time. And the lighting was just so nice. Um, There's like cloud cover and, um, or like sporadic clouds and stuff. And it's just, it's just a typical boring neighborhood over here. Like nothing special, just a bunch of residential suburban houses. And I don't know. It's like there's something. In how ordinary that is that makes me just want to shoot it and show it off for some reason. I I don't. It's really hard to explain um, what I'm after. I think I'm after things that look almost um, painterly, sort of um, like compositions that uh, I guess someone would someone would want to paint.
0: You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I see one thing with the film community is is, and I'm I'm, I'm talking more YouTube and, and Instagram here than like what I would actually know about the the British um, film community. Mm-hmm. But um, it does appear that there is a, a real fascination with nostalgia and and sort of a very particular period of time between, I guess, like the sort of 40s to the 80s. Anything that's kind of shows off age in that way is 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 there an explanation really for why that kind of like Americana and nostalgia is so popular with film photography?
1: Uh, if there is, I, I don't think I'm the one to, uh, try and explain it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, I really like taking pictures of nature, but, um, I, I really like taking pictures of nature. Uh, I just like really nice lighting on, on things too. I like sort of taking pictures of things that kind of feel like abandoned or left behind sort of in some way. Um, so maybe that's part of it. Like the, if you know if you're taking a picture of a car from the 60s or something that in present day maybe you you might be taking a picture of it because it feels nostalgic like it feels like something that was it's a technology that was left behind and that's kind of what film is like it is kind of a dead not dead but it's a it's an old technology that you know shouldn't really exist anymore because digital's around and you know in (laughs) in most cases digital is easier
0: and um you know, things like that. So why do you think there's a rivalry between film and digital?
1: Oh, I don't know. I think at least on my channel, I just perpetuate it because it's funny, um, to me, but, um, I don't know. I, I mean, in your experience, has there ever really been like a serious rivalry?
0: Um, I, do you know what? I remember one guy, um, years ago who was on the sort of the portrait scene when I was on the South coast of England Mm -hmm. And he used to just talk so much shit to people that were shooting digital because he shot 35 mil. And I was, I was very like, I picked up shit quite quickly with, with photography. I think photography in its, in its base form is very simple to figure out. And I think if, if you have a clear direction of what you want to do with it, it's, it's quite easy to move through the gears towards where you want to, you want to go with it, and and then you can refine. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just remember being really new and looking at his work and his work was tragic. Um, and my, mine wasn't much better, but this guy was, you know, literally like shouting people down about how amazing he was. And I just remember thinking, wow, film shooters are real dicks. And it just turned out that he yeah. he was just a dick. Um, so I haven't seen <laughs> it, but like, I think, um, I think it's like, do you remember like maybe five years ago when there was like the brand wars where it was like, if you're Canon or if you're Nikon, you know, the other, yeah. you know, the other side can, can fuck off basically because they're,
1: it's like belonging to a group or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like tribalism.
1: Yeah. I mean, that could be it. Um, I mean, some people just swear by film and it's like, it's the purest form of photography. I don't know about that. There's definitely like, like your friend, um, there's definitely people on both sides that kind of are extreme, I think, uh, in their views. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you're making a photo. If you're scrolling past, you know, a photo on Instagram or like you're looking at someone's portfolio it doesn't really matter, matter whether it's shot on film or digital. You know, uh, either way, like you're, you're just looking at a photograph. You're looking at a piece of art, hopefully, and you can look at it like that. I just think film has a different process than digital. That's why I shoot like 95% film. I'm just the workflow for film for me is way more rewarding for me. Um, at the end of the day, whereas digital is, it's instant. Everything's instant. Once your photo's edited, that's it. You, know, you can do it all in a matter of an hour or less even. And film. You know, for me, I got to take the photo. Don't know how it turned out. Send it off to the lab. Lab sends it back. Scan it. Hopefully it all works out. And when it does, you know, I'm pretty happy. So I think that it's just a... I guess it's just a matter of workflow,
0: I think. I mean, your last trip to Iceland, you were shooting digital and film. Do you actually find that you like compose and um, you just physically work differently when you're using digital compared to film, or is it just two different ways of taking the same shot?
1: With, yeah, I think with film, I take better photos with digital. It's like, well, I can shoot it this way or this way. Well, it's digital. Why not just shoot both? You know, there's a thousand I can, this memory card can hold what, like 5,000 photos or something like that. So why not just shoot both and decide later? Whereas with film, you got to be a little more specific. It, film is going to make you decide which composition is better, and then go with that, and then maybe make improvements upon that. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. And with digital, you can typically instantly review your your shot and. You know, for some people, that workflow is uh is what they're after. They want to instantly review their shot, take a look at it, try and look at it um, objectively, and then make adjustments from there. Whereas with film, um, you don't get to instantly see your shot. You take your shot and kind of just hope for the best. And then when it comes back, at least in my opinion, when uh, when it comes back from the lab, it's um it's a good feeling that knowing that you you know nailed it, or you know maybe it's shit. Who knows.
0: um i think that that like that non-instant gratification is actually like a really really positive thing i mean again i'm only like i'm still wet behind the ears when it comes to shooting film but um having to i do my own developing because it's just black and white and literally anyone can figure that out with if i can put it (laughs) together then i think anyone can figure it out but that that process of coming back and then developing and then waiting, you know, the, the extra time through the developing before you get to see the shots. I actually really enjoy because sometimes yeah. the instant gratification just makes the whole thing quite shallow. And you kind of just move on very quickly from the last photo that you took without really thinking about it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a really good way of putting it. I've also kind of found that just digital like digital technology for cameras has come so far to, uh, you know, at this point in time that like. I have a Sony that can shoot a 42 megapixel image and it's just so crisp and clinical and all the colors are just true to life. And it just, I don't know, there's something missing from it. Whereas like film kind of actually just
0: feels like a real living thing for some reason. Uh, it's hard to explain. Yeah, I think as well that the, the when you have a, like a backlog of raw files and you can constantly go back and re-edit and re-edit and re-edit. I think that side of yeah. it makes everything very disposable. Whereas with film, you're really sort of constrained by the decisions you made at the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know. Someone said it at some point, some famous person, I'm sure, but um, they were saying like uh, art, you know, you, you work better under like limitations as an artist. Yeah. Um, and I think film is like just enough limitation for me to kind of, um, you know, figure it out and work uh, very well under, and, you know, that might not be the same for everyone. You know, everyone, some people might, you know, find that the digital workflow is just perfect for them, but you know, just for me and um, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there, you know, that prefer film. Over digital. I, I think
0: that having, I think having those the like constraints of, um, like limited gear, like you only work with one lens or you only work with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you restrict yourself to shooting black and white or whatever, even if you're shooting digitally, I think you get better as a photographer from that, that the restraint actually helps you find more creative ways to use what you're doing. Whereas having just unlimited options. I mean, I've taught workshops in the past and generally speaking, Mm -hmm. the people that turned up with the most gear were usually the furthest from being able to be helped.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, another thing I wanted to add too is like the um, with film photography, you take your photo and then you move on to the next angle. You know, you, like I was saying before, you don't have to you don't review your shot. Whereas like with digital, you, yeah, I mean, you can choose not to review your shot, I suppose. But most people kind of like check it out after they shoot it, make sure everything's all right. Oh, uh, maybe I could have done this better. All that time you're thinking like maybe I could have you know done this better or maybe readjust here here. Like that's time you could be spend spending on another shot. You know. Um I don't know. It's, it's too much focus to go into like one, one photo for me, if that makes
0: sense. Definitely. I mean, one thing I'm really struggling with, and I'd, I'd love to hear your side on this, is how people decide what film stock they're going to use ahead of time. Yeah. Because obviously, like if you're shooting 35 millimeter, you, you're going to go 24 or 36 frames before you can change things up. And that means mm-hmm. you're fairly restricted with the scene that you've got. I mean, how do you decide what film is going to work for what?
1: Yeah. I think that's something like the more you shoot, the, the more you kind of start to understand it. Um, where, so like, I guess I, I break it down into two things. I can shoot either black and white or color. Um, and then with color, generally I like to shoot color negative film. I'm kind of stay away from color positive unless I'm making a video usually. Um, but with color negative film, I like my, my stocks are, the stocks that I always use are Portra 400 and Kodak Color Plus 200, and then maybe occasionally Fuji Pro 400H. So those three. Okay. What do I know about those three? I know that Fuji films produce really nice greens. Okay. Well, I'm not going somewhere with a lot of green stuff. So maybe I'll just shoot Portra, you know, for this. That's kind of my, my thought process. If I'm going somewhere right. kind of overcast with like diffused lighting, um, not a whole, not like harsh shadows or anything like that, I'll probably pick up a black and white. Um, film, you know, HP five or, um, let's see. I, God, I always forget. Is it X, XP four? The, I can't remember. It's like the C 41 black and white. Anyway, XP2. it's one of those. Oh, xp two. Yeah. Yeah. Why can I never remember that?
0: Well, it's because they have FP4. That's why. It's because they, have, they oh, basically why. have just coded everything in the most irritating way possible. So that, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just combinations of two letters and a number and you're always going to be wrong no matter what you do. And by the way, the yeah. reason I'm actually able to correct you is because I'm staring at a massive amount of used film canisters um, to my okay. right. So it's not like I'm clever. It's just they're literally right in front of me.
1: So it sounds like you shoot like dominantly black and white for a film
0: yeah it basically that comes down to my limited brain cells and not really having the inclination <laughs> or the effort to want to like temperature control water to be able to develop color film yeah um i just find i i personally prefer black and white film in terms of um like sort of the style that i like a really big fan of peter Lindbergh, who's a uh, very predominantly black and white portrait photographer. Um I interviewed um a, a fellow from your neck of the woods earlier today who uh shoots uh, he doesn't shoot film, but his black and whites are really crisp and really contrasty. And I feel like when you push HP five to sixteen hundred, you get a very similar look. Um I'm I'm a bit of a whore for for grain. Um I really do like yeah, to have strong too, grain in images. Well yeah I mean it goes about saying with your name, but Yeah <laughs> But yeah, I I just, I I like, I actually like the way black and white looks. I also think that, um, you know, you were talking earlier about having that sort of like a moment in time from film photography. I feel like black and white does that. To, to the next level, because I, f- I don't know, I've, I find I'm very temperamental about colors, especially green. I really can't stand Fuji Um And when I was shooting Fuji cameras um, digitally, I, I just, that was the one color I didn't think they did particularly well, which everyone always told me they did, but I just didn't like, maybe it's just me being fussy. I, I have Sony now and at least it's yeah. manipulatable a lot more with Sony, but I'm not really a big fan of their colors either. Um, I just, yeah. I don't know. I just, I think black and white kind of, you focus more on the content of the shot. Whereas I think I'm just quite thick and I would just more focus on colors because I'm not particularly clever.
1: Mm, yeah. I'm uh, yeah. Colors have been a constant battle for me all these years. You know, I'll, I'll take photos that, um, you know, I think are going to turn out great. I get them back and it's like, oh, the colors kind of look like kind of dull. And then I look at someone else's photos. And I'm like, how do I get those? Mm. But it's, you know, it's been a constant battle. Um, I, but I think like over the past year, I've kind of really found my stride. And I think that's really only something that comes with, um, uh, just like practice and using lots of different like workflows and techniques and, um, kind of finding exactly what you like in a photo. Whereas like, yeah, so like Fuji produces really green greens. Um, and I think that's perfect for people who l- want to lean into that kind of natural green look. But yeah, for like some people, like you were saying, um, it's just not its not what, what makes it, you know?
0: Yeah, I think you have like a picture in your head, right? And when something doesn't match up to the picture in your head, that's when you start to hit a wall with things. And that's all it is with the Fuji greens. It just, they feel too slightly too blue to me. Yeah, you know, It's kind of the weirdest mm. thing, but um, that's the way I always feel about it. I want stuff to go more towards like the yellow end of green rather than the blue end of green.
1: Yeah, I think portraits uh, like the portrait series and like Kodak in general is probably more
0: in that direction. If I had to guess from my experience, I guess. You don't shoot a ton of black and white from what I've seen on on um, your YouTube and, and your Instagram. Um, is it like a really specific idea that you'd have to have black and white for?
1: I actually really enjoy shooting black and white. The problem is my kind of rule of thumb since I live in California is I'll shoot color film if it's like bright and sunny out. But if it's not, if it's overcast or rainy or like, you know, whatever I'll shoot black and white. Cause I feel like that in my experience, those are the like best conditions for both films um, that I've found for like my workflow. Um, So the problem is, California is sunny every goddamn day of the year. <laughs> you know, it never rains here. It's never overcast. It's always a hundred degrees and sunny and bright. So, yeah, I shoot a lot of color negative film. Um, I recently did a trip though, and, um, it was kind of, it, we, we saw some of those conditions and I shot a lot of black and white and I think it turned out really well. It was, um, XP2 that I shot and HP5 again. Um, so I want to do more black and white. It's just, you know, I I think the conditions
0: have to be right and they're just never right. (laughs) I mean, if you want bad weather, you're always welcome to come to England. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Let's, let's just go down this route. Do you, do you do any of your own developing?
1: So I've been thinking about it Uh, up to this point. No, I have not. I did help. Um, my friend Caleb, uh, develop a role for me. He did most of the work and told me what to do, but like I helped out a little bit. So I get a little credit for that. But, um, otherwise, no, I, I am too scared to do all my own developing. Um, so I usually send it off to a lab. However, um, a lab that I was using, uh, messed up a role of mine. Um, Uh which I think is really rare. Um, and, uh, they, you know, they were really nice about it. They, you know, admitted fault and um, everything and whatever, but that, I don't know. I kind of started thinking from there on out, like, you know, it's like, if you, have you ever gone skydiving? (laughs) No. (laughs) So I kind of thought about it like this. No one's going to care as much about my film as I do. So mistakes like that, you know, could, could slide through. I don't know. It's just like how when people who go skydiving, they pack their own parachutes because no one's going to care as much and be as like for sure about packing their parachute as the person who's actually going to use it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's... so like, maybe <laughs> I, I get, should yeah. just start developing my own film because no one cares enough about it or no one
0: cares like as much as
1: I do about it to get it
0: right. You know? Well, I guess that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's a fun process. It's, it's I mean, yeah. black and white is, it seems like color film, development just seems to be a pain in the ass but um black and yeah. white it seems to be very fun um it's just a case of uh, the one thing you have then is that you have no one to shout at i guess when someone doesn't pack your shoot properly yeah yeah
1: that's true yeah it's all on you but it from what i've been hearing from people it's like it's so great just like having control of the entire process from start to finish and like especially with black and white i've been hearing like d- d- like the type of chemicals you use Um, makes such a huge difference in the final outcome of the image. Right. Whereas like color, it's I think it's all pretty much like the same process across the board.
0: Yeah. I watched a video yesterday. I was recommended a channel by someone and it was, they were using like Mountain Dew to dye their film before they, Oh my um, gosh. Before they started (laughs) developing it and stuff. And I was like, wow, color film is like the wild west of developing black and white. seems so straightforward and simple.
1: Wow. Mountain Dew, dude. I want to try that actually. I'm gonna get some Mountain Dew code red and, the
0: regular Mountain Dew and just kind of see what happens. I can't imagine it's going to be good, but I, I mean, yeah. you could always drink <laughs> the Mountain Dew afterwards and just see how you feel, I guess. Yeah. And let's let's talk about cameras because obviously you've got quite the collection of cameras. I know you're a big fan of Kendall Jenner, so we should probably start there. Huge fan. <laughs> did you, did you happen to get hold of your um, contacts before they boomed in price because of her?
1: No, I didn't. I got it. So they boomed in price and I kind of got it when that happened. Um, but I mean, they they just keep going up too, which is nice. Like I could probably sell it right now for more than I bought it for, which is probably the case with most of my cameras. But the, the contact C2 is like the one everyone wants for some reason. Um, I kind of understand why, but yeah, that that just sucks that that's like the worst case scenario for a camera is like a celebrity endorses it. And it's not just her, like the kid from stranger things has one, the, um, Thor, Chris Hemsworth has one and like a couple other celebrities have one too. And it's like the more people, especially famous people that get them, you know, the more the price is just gonna skyrocket. And I think, I don't know. I, I'm making a context T2 review right now and it's, um, I think my like final, my thesis on the video is like, yes, it's an expensive camera. It is just barely not worth it though. You know, it's a great (laughs) camera, but it's like, it's just a little too expensive for what it is, especially because it's electronic and
0: it'll fail and die one day. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I, I saw that you were using one, and mm. with my my position of being incredibly naive with film stuff, I was like, eh, "I'll have a look on eBay." Jesus fucking Christ, how much are these cameras? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I found I found myself a fun little alternative, which does what I needed to do, which is uh, this like old Canon Sure Shot that has a thirty-eight mil two point eight, and it's it's a point and shoot. There's no real, um, no like, there's no real um, control to it, but it's. Mm. Um, it's, it's enough that it's like, if it breaks, it didn't cost me enough money that I'd care, but it, it yeah. does the job for what I need it to do. But I can't believe exactly. the price on, on the, on the contacts. Uh, what is your, what is your main go-to camera? Um, I guess if I'm
1: going out to shoot, it's my Mamiya seven. That camera's a probably the, in my opinion, probably one of the best cameras ever made. I think. What, what is it you like so much? Uh, well, it shoots six by seven medium format negatives, which is my favorite format. And but it does it. It's a really light camera. It is so easy to carry around. It's like as light as a point and shoot. But it shoots this massive negative. And the lens on it, it's a rangefinder, so no mirror and makes it heavy. It's all plastic. The lens that I have on it, I have the eighty mil f four. I think it is so sharp. It is the sharpest lens I've ever used. And like, if you're like me, and you like pixel peep the crap out of all your photos like <laughs> that lens is the sharpest i've come across and and you're just using that as like a walk around camera you can yeah it is so light it, my buddy was carrying around an rz67 for like 2 or 3 hours yesterday and he was like complaining about how his arm hurts you know and that shoots <laughs> the same size negatives as uh, the mamiya 7 but the mamiya 7 is like it's like so I don't know. There, there's no weight to it or anything. I guess the trade-off though is that it's really expensive and um, it's also like pretty electronic. So it's going to die one day and, you know, it cost a fortune to get it fixed if I ever get it fixed.
0: It's kind of the gamble you take with these old cameras, I guess. And you've also got, um, I don't think that's your whole camera collection though, right? Cause you've got that cool little 3d camera that um, you made the mm-hmm. amazing video about Baxter with. Yeah, the Nashika
1: N8000. It's a uh, piece of shit. (laughs) I don't much care for it. I wouldn't recommend it to people, to be honest. Yeah, but it it produces like a really cool look. Um, But it is a complete pain in the ass to use. And, you know, it's it's like really shitty grade plastic. Am I allowed to curse on this? I am assuming it's fine because...
0: I have been the whole time. So yeah, you, you go for it.
1: Yeah, the plastic is like a really low grade plastic or something. And I just know I'm going to wind it to the next shot one day and it's just going to snap and that'll be
0: it, you know? Let's talk about like cameras that you want to own then, because I think me and you probably both share one camera for definite. Okay. um, Which is the X Pan. Oh, I I definitely have to get an X Pan at some point.
1: Yeah, you and me both. Um, I've been looking at them lately. Um, I was kind of like on this course to buy one earlier this year. And, um, then like the pandemic hit and like all sorts of things just got thrown up in the air and it's like, eh, I probably shouldn't spend the money right now. Um, but yeah, those cameras are so freaking cool. I, I was telling my buddy, um, the other day, like, why didn't they just make more of these? You know, why is, Mm. why is there only like the X-Pan, the X-Pan 2, and then like the TX1 and TX2, which is like the same thing. Um, I, I wish more cameras had this like panoramic, this true panoramic
0: format. Um. Well, it's funny you say that because I, I spoke to um, a guy called Kevin Mullins, who's a, an ambassador for Fuji. Okay. And um, I I said to him that I'm just going to throw it out there because it just needs to get made. You've got the X100. Yeah. I think they're on the X100V now, which is like the fixed lens um, mm. digital mirrorless. I was like, why are they not making an X-Pan version of that? Like that's gonna sell mm. like you would not believe. Just have a wider sensor, have have that wide sensor, fixed like forty mil lens. Just do it. Just yeah. make that fucking camera, and it's gonna sell so much. And he yeah. said, "Oh yeah, we you know they're always listening, and you know they want they want that feedback and stuff." And it's like, well, just go and make it. Like I don't see why. Yeah. Like th- th- this should no longer be a conversation. You should just be there having them make this camera and then sending me one. It, sh- it should be really exactly. straightforward.
1: Exactly. Even well, so Fuji. Um, my understanding of the x is it was a collaboration between Fuji and Hasselblad or Hasselblad, however you want to say it. Um, and my understanding is that Fuji actually produced the body of the camera, which I, I'm not sure someone, um, hopefully someone corrects me if that's, if that's not true. But, um, yeah, like if Fuji, Fuji's is like still producing cameras these days. So why not just make a limited run or like maybe just start producing new ones. I don't know. I'm sure they still have the you know the pl- the blueprints somewhere, um, but they would sell out like immediately if they started making yeah. new ones, especially for film.
0: You know. Yeah, I, I don't really understand why more. I think it might come soon. I think there might be a resurgence of companies putting out new 35 millimeter cameras, at least 35 millimeter, maybe not more medium format for the time being.
1: You know what I found out yesterday? What's that? That there's a few companies that are still making um, film cameras. Like Nikon is still making the F6, which is a film camera. So you can buy like one of those brand new off the line. And then Leica wow. is still making two film cameras. They got the Leica MP and the Leica MA. And both of those you can still buy new. Granted, they're stupidly expensive because um, they're Leica. But yeah, yeah, that's that's like super cool to me that these companies are still producing film cameras to this day.
0: Yeah. And I I don't see any reason why with the way that YouTube is controlling a lot of the culture of photography and film is Mm -hmm. becoming more and more of a thing on there, why companies wouldn't maybe have a look at it? Because, you know, uh, film manufacturers are making new film stocks. You've got more Mm -hmm. and more people clambering after cameras that, like you said, are are inevitably going to fail sooner rather than later in a lot of cases. Why not take a piece of that market? Like capitalism just says that there's money there. Why not go for it?
1: Yeah. You know what's going to happen though? (laughs) You and I are both going to buy an X-Pan and then like a day later, they're going (laughs) to announce like they're producing new X-Pans or whatever. And it's like, great. So these like, (laughs) they'll just lose like a ton of like value or something.
0: Yeah. Well, do you know what? To be honest with you, I'd be fine with that because if I still get an X-Pan, then that's all I really worry about. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. I have found a fun little workaround with, um, so a friend of mine, um, and I think you might start to really fucking hate me here. Um, but a friend of <laughs> mine lent me a, a Hasselblad, um, 500 cm until yeah. next winter. So I've got it for like a year and a half and, um, you get these little, yeah, I know. And I've got no talent either. So it's just a complete waste of a camera. <laughs> and there's these little buffer adapter things that you can use to put 35 mil film through that. Yeah, and shoot it like kind of pano, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just shot my first roll of that, but I'm not going to like mix the chemicals just to develop one roll. So I won't know how it actually looks for like probably a couple of weeks, but um, that's going to be my workaround. The difference is though, is that that's like 15 times the size of an uh, an X-Pad and it's not exactly like a walkabout camera.
1: Yeah. I just, I want the true panoramic, I don't know, the true panoramic negative size. From a camera like the, the X-Pan, you know, I want the double width of like a 35 mil frame. I, I don't
0: know why. I, so does everyone else, apparently, because the cameras are like a <laughs> thousand billion dollars. What do you make of um like sort of the novelty film stuff? I don't want to say novelty because that sounds like I'm being a bit... Mm-hmm. What what do you make of the, the film stocks that are coming out? Like, you know, you've got Lomo Purple and uh, I saw you shot Metropolis and there's a few other yeah. film stocks that are coming out that have like, uh, I guess, a gimmick to them. Um, what what do you make yeah. of all that? Do you think that's good for the, for the film industry?
1: I think so. Yeah. Um, I wish more stocks were coming out that were a little more, um, I don't know. I wish, you know, more companies were doing more stuff with like slide film, positive film, but um, Lomo Purple is like really cool it's like like you're saying it is a very gimmicky film like i i don't know what the hell i would ever you know shoot with that um probably besides like my own wedding maybe but <laughs> i don't know yeah i think there's so my buddy uh he asked for like lomo purple from his parents for uh for christmas one year and he just got like a shitload of lomo purple so he's been shooting that and You know, it's really interesting because once you kind of like dive into that and you start um, getting used to like what the, what looks good with the film and et cetera, et cetera, you kind of figure out like your style with that film. And so he's like really, in my opinion, he's like really figured it out. He's been like doing bleach bypass on it and like all sorts of crazy stuff. And just like, it really works for what he's shooting and he's just done a great job with it. So like... I think in to him it's not a gimmicky film. It's like it's like what Portrait 400 is to me. You know, it's like my go-to for now Um, because he's really he's figured out the right workflow for for him. You know, so gimmicky is I think to most people is probably yeah a gimmicky film like purple and teal and all those um, other ones. But uh, you know, Lomo actually makes a color negative line as well, and I guess you could say that renders normally, quote unquote. Um, mm. it renders, um, true to, I guess, true to life more than Lomo purple does anyway. <laughs> well, it depends on, on what
0: you've been smoking, I guess, but.
1: Yeah. It depends on what your vision looks like.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. If if you're seeing in Lomo purple, you've probably got to see a doctor. But yeah, I know probably. Carl McDougall did a, like an exposure test on the, um, Lomo color negative, And he said it was surprisingly good considering like the cost difference and stuff.
1: Yeah. I just shot, um three rolls of Lomo 800. I don't, have you ever shot any of the, well, you don't do a whole lot of color, right? No, I'm boring. Yeah. I just shot uh, three rolls of Lomo 800 and, uh, made a, I'm making a video about it and it is actually a really solid film. Um, it does extremely well with the highlights, which is crazy to me. um, um especially cause I think, I don't, I don't think Lomography actually makes that film itself. They just cut it from a master roll that they buy from Kodak. So it's some Kodak stock that they make, but Lomography just like monetizes it, I guess. Um, but it, it's crazy. Where do you stand on expired film? I don't shoot it. It's, it's too much of a, too much of a gamble. Uh, in my opinion, you know, You you never know, like, Someone could tell you that the you know the stock has been um, stored in a freezer you know these past eighteen years or whatever, um, but you know they could be lying. I don't know to sell their thing. If they're not, you still really don't know like what you're going to get. Your film might look kind of faded and uh, I don't know unappealing. I guess. But um, so for some people it's a it's a style and it works really really well. Um, I'm just not one of those people.
0: I don't think. Have you ever thought about going to large format?
1: Um. Yes. I. When's this podcast gonna air? Do you know?
0: It will be next Saturday.
1: Yeah. I guess I'll just say for now, so you don't have to change anything. Um. There's more on that coming soon. I don't want to like spoil it yet because it was kind of like a long time coming, and I like made a video for it and everything. But there's there's something on that. Uh, there's a video on that front that's
0: that's coming soon. Okay. I guess cool. I
1: can say yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. I'll just say that.
0: (laughs) Okay, I mean, it it looks terrifying to me, if I'm completely honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite things about your YouTube channel and um, something that you've referenced as perhaps not being as popular as maybe I think it should be is your uh, 10 questions series. hmm. And I've tried really hard to live up to your standards as, as an interviewer. I don't think I've done a particularly good <laughs> job. But what I have done is I have taken some of your questions from the uh, 10 question series. And I'd like to ask you and kind of uh, turn the tables a little bit if that's okay. Yeah, hit me. I'm ready. I apologize for the fact that your questions are going to come out in a, in a shit British accent. <laughs> but question number one is besides PCP, what drugs do you do to counter photography burnout? <sighs>
1: Yeah, dude. I, uh, you know, just the, just the normal recreational ones, you know, bath salts and uh, meth. Yeah. <laughs> just
0: the light stuff. Yeah. Just the easy stuff. What would you classify your photography as landscape lifestyle or pornographic? <laughs> uh, definitely
1: pornographic. Yeah. I, uh, I mostly shoot buildings, uh, shoot like architecture and like landscape stuff, but it's like pornographic in a different sense, you know? Uh, the last question for
0: this section that I'll ask is just how long is it? <laughs> how long is what? Is that you've been doing photography? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, honestly, I don't know why more people don't enjoy that stuff. Cause I I found it so funny. It was, um, uh, Chris <laughs> Bartolucci. I thought it was just such a funny episode.
1: Yeah, she, she was so awesome with that whole thing. Um, I kind of feel like I, th- I threw a lot of stuff on her for that, but, um, she did, a. Uh, She did an absolutely incredible job. I want to do more of those videos, but there's like two major issues with making those. One is that it's really hard to think of questions like that are insulting, um, (laughs) funny and about photography, you know, like you gotta, you gotta find questions that do all three, hopefully. Yeah. And then also, um, those, those 10 questions videos, they don't get a whole lot of engagement. They're like my least viewed. Videos and I don't really make videos for the views. I do it just for myself, really. Um, but part of what's awesome about YouTube is like the type of people that engage with the content that you make. And if a certain like type of video doesn't get as much engagement, then I'm just kind of less inclined to make them, you know?
0: Right. I, I think they're just wasted on perhaps wasted on Americans a little bit. I think in England, we, we love the subtle look at the camera. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome. I'm due for one of those. I need to do another one. Well, do you know what? I'm happy to throw some people in your direction and you can insult them. Um, yeah. I want to ask you some, some actual, real serious, honest, not sarcastic questions. And now I'm really worried right. they're going to come out sounding quite rude. <laughs> but then if they do, then I'm just being rude. I'm not being funny. Okay. Something I'm quite fascinated by with photographers is how they kind of see their own work as opposed to mm. like the way that they're seen by others. Um, in your opinion, what's your worst habit as a photographer?
1: My worst habit. Oh, so I hate that. I hate
0: doing this, but
1: sometimes I'll shoot, um, like doubles of a shot, especially if I'm shooting on 35 millimeter and I want to make sure I get the shot. I'll shoot doubles of it. And then I end up scanning. It's just, I don't know. I, it's kind, it's kind of a weird one. I, I just don't enjoy going through the whole scanning process, going through the editing, converting into a TIFF because I use negative lab pro and all that just to see like, the same shot twice, you know? And like, if I'm using <laughs> something with a lot of latitude, like Portra 400, um, they pretty much just look the same. Even if I did change the exposure settings, like there's so much range on Portra 400 that it really didn't matter to shoot doubles. And it's just a ha- a bad habit I'm into for some reason.
0: Um, yeah, that's probably my worst habit for sure. What's the next thing you want to work on as a photographer? The next thing you want to improve on? Hmm
1: probably black and white. I um kind of want to yeah, I don't know. Um it's a good question. I think hmm, I kind of went through this whole thing recently where I took a good like uh objective look at a lot of my my past work and thought, you know, this stuff is good, but I don't I don't really see like a clear style here. I need to like have something that reads as like a clear style. Like you look at the photo and maybe you can tell that it was me who shot it. That'd be the ultimate goal. But, um, so I kind of, you know, spent like a week researching. Um, one of my biggest inspirations is Edward Hopper, the painter. Um, and I kind of just like spent a week checking out his, uh, his paintings and kind of just trying to figure out exactly what it is that makes me feel the way I do when I look at one of his paintings. And I you know, took a bunch of notes and kind of really tried to think. Um, what's the word? I guess just think deeply about it. And I've, this was like a month ago or something. And I've been trying to emulate his work in my own work to some degree. I think that's what I'm, what I'm working on right now is trying to create a body of work that looks like it, it was all shot by the same photographer
0: what does it take for you to be happy with a photo that you've taken? I think uh, a lot of things, the subject, the
1: composition, the lighting and the colors all have to be on point for me to be completely happy with it. And then there's like a few other like bonus things. It's like, if I nail all, you know, 17 of these things, then it'll go in the portfolio. But it's incredibly rare that I actually (laughs) nail all those,
0: you know, When it comes to other photographers, one thing that I've given as a piece of advice for people starting out is um, kind of what you alluded to a minute ago is, is you need to have an idea of what you like before you know the direction Mm -hmm. that you want to go in. You have to have, you have to develop a taste so that you understand what it is that actually speaks to you. And I think that's something a lot of photographers miss out on because they focus more on technical things and like the mechanical aspect of a camera rather than actually artistically what they enjoy. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Yeah. Oh, it makes a mix of change. Um, if you speak to my wife, she'll tell you I'm very rarely spot on. <laughs> if you could go back and speak to yourself when you were sort of starting out with film photography, what would be the piece of advice that you'd give yourself to kind of help you get through the gears a bit quicker?
1: I would tell myself, um, I mean, again, the biggest struggle I ever had was just like, I guess, converting color or uh, looking at color negative film and, you know, inverting it and getting the colors right and everything like that. I always thought like I was doing it wrong. And uh, I know nowadays that there is no right way to do it. Um, there is only like every time you invert a color negative shot, it's just an interpretation of the negative. You know, there is no correct way to do it um, overall. So if if I figured out that information back then, I think I would have gone to where I am now a lot faster. And then also I'd probably tell myself uh, also, you know, find out exactly what you, what, Looks good. What you think looks good in a photo, and just keep continuing on into that direction, and try and just craft your style as much as you can.
0: Where do you stand on like editing of film negatives? Like, what's what's too far when it comes to editing film to you?
1: Yeah, this is a tough one too. Uh, so, yeah, like I just said, like every uh, inverted negative is just an interpretation. So you can go to like five different labs, and they will all give you different. Scans and different looks for you know the same photo because they they all use different scanning methods, different color profiles, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, me personally, I think if you over-edit, there's like a it's it's not a fine line, you know. If you if you're adding things to your photo that weren't there, like I don't know, putting in clouds or something. For me, that that's kind of like that destroys the idea of like doing landscape photography in the first place. I mean, that it, it to me that at that point it becomes a uh, like graphic, uh, what's it called? You're like a graphic artist, I guess. Right. Um, with film editing is tough. I've seen some people kind of like mess with the colors so much that like you can't even tell it's shot on film anymore. Sometimes film just has an aesthetic that or look that, you know, if you zoom in on it, you see the grain, you look at the colors and you're like, wow, okay, that was clearly shot on film or the dynamic range is like off the charts. And you're like, okay, well, I think only film could have really pulled that off. Um, so I think some people, some people probably disagree, but I would say um, if you change the colors of your shot, you know, so drastically much that it, doesn't look like film anymore, then that's, you've gone too far. But then, you know, me saying that it's like a subjective thing again. It's, I mean, what is the film look exactly? No one, I don't think anyone really understands it completely. So it's, it's a whole toss up. That's a hard question to answer.
0: It's something that I find very strange with people that shoot film and then kind of remove the characteristics of film from that image. Um, so that basically what they're left with is a digital image that just has a lot more latitude. It's, I guess it's a tactic, but it's a very strange one to me because like you said yeah. earlier, digital cameras have come so far that um, mm-hmm. it almost feels like a really long way round to get slightly less out of it. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you shoot RAW with a digital camera and you can like do everything you need to. There's so much range in Lightroom with RAW files, whereas like film, you're scanning it as like a TIFF. And you can't really, I don't know, there's not as much room to like play with, with film. You you pretty much have to try and get it as close to right in camera. You know, when you
0: do it. Obviously photography, like you said, earlier, it's not your, it's not your job um, outside mm-hmm. of it being a YouTube thing. Would you ever want it to become your job? Um, yeah, I think, um, uh, I think that'd be really cool. I mean, if
1: someone hit me up tomorrow and was like, Hey, you want to go on tour with this band? They're kind of like, they're not the biggest and, but they're going to be doing like a tour all across the U S you know, we'll pay you, we'll, you know, put you up and stuff. I would 100% say yes. I think any photographer probably would, to be honest. Um, so in that case, yeah, I would, I would absolutely leap at the opportunity for something like that, even though like I ha- I, I don't have any like band photography in my portfolio. Um, but at the same time, <sighs> photography is such a saturated field, that it's so, I, I figure, I feel like it's really, really competitive. Um, so it might not be the field for me. Um, I've always thought like, oh, I could give, you know, engagement photography or wedding photography a go at some point. I know I'll like be really bad at it when I first start, but um, then I talk to a few people and they're always like, dude, don't do, don't do wedding photography. It's <laughs> it's a goddamn nightmare, you know. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I I don't think it's a nightmare, but I definitely, I, you know, I always say the same thing to people, which is, um, it's not a job you can do if you don't enjoy it,
1: you know, yeah. it'll, it'll
0: kill you pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've just heard horrible stories about like, you know, brides and stuff kind of like losing it on their photographers because they're not getting the shot or something. It's like, I don't
0: know. Yeah. I have to admit we've, I mean, we've talked in the past about moving to America because me and my wife are both sort of really American at heart, I guess. And um, Mm. I I probably wouldn't be a wedding photographer in America because um, at least what we see in TV shows and uh, what I see on YouTube videos by American wedding photographers, it just seems like it's a day designed for everyone to be pissed off at each other as opposed to enjoy themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, I'd have to agree with that sentiment,
0: yeah. With your YouTube channel, to what extent do you get um, pissed off at being like sort of having to play second fiddle to Baxter? <laughs> uh,
1: well, you know, I've kind of just accepted that he's the star and uh, you know, even though I do all the heavy lifting, he's the one everyone wants to see. And once you kind of accept that, it just, it just becomes easier,
0: you know? What is your opinion on kind of photographers following trends? Like, I th- okay. So how about this? Do you think Instagram generally speaking is a good thing for photography? I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I'd have to say, yeah, it is a good thing because, um, when I was first getting started, I would have never known, um, what, what style I even liked in the first place. You know, um, I, I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't have known where to go to look at other people's work. Um, other than Instagram. I mean, I, I know now that like a lot of photographers have websites, a lot of photographers have like um you know galleries or portfolios online or um you know even some sell like zines or photo books but i didn't know that when i was first starting so when i was first starting and i was trying to find like a style to i guess kind of pick parts from and then another style to pick my favorite parts from and kind of combine them together and figure out exactly what it is i want to be shooting um the instagram was like the place to go i looked at a lot of uh, photographers and their work on Instagram and kind of figured out the direction I wanted to go with my work. And then, um, from there I kind of, you know, picked it up and started looking into, I guess, all alternative, um, sources of inspiration than other than Instagram. There is kind of a weird thing with social media though, where like, if you, I don't know, I feel this every now and then, but if like, I don't go out and shoot for a while, say like two months, I'll be on Instagram seeing someone else's shots and just think, man, I really need to get out there. I've been slacking so much lately, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But then it's also like, I found so many great artists through Instagram too. And you know, there it's, it, it's made seeing their work uh, exponentially easier um, than just like randomly finding them in like a photo book and like a, um, a thrift shop or something,
0: you know? Yeah. I think, um, like the one thing I hear quite often and something that I've kind of struggled with is the, the people that chase metrics when it comes to Instagram or any social media, where they're sort of chasing, um, the attention and they're doing, they'll, they'll change what they're doing because it will generate more, sort of interaction. And and I worry if that's necessarily a good thing with Instagram. I think if you're, if you're smart with your curation of what shows up on your Instagram feed, it can be a really inspiring place. And, um, I normally have a rule of like on my photography ones, just no politics. I just don't want politics because it sidetracks me from sort of artistic stuff. Obviously lately that's become almost impossible, Mm -hmm. but yeah. I, th- I think like my worry is that I see a lot of people who will change up everything about what they're doing just because they feel like it's going to get them a, sort of a better feedback from random people around the world on Instagram. And I find that a very bizarre sort of way to set yourself up.
1: Yeah. I, I, uh, pretty much agree with you. Um, yeah. Uh, I kind of, I mean, I've told my buddy Caleb this a, a bunch too, but he, he always talks about like looking at the uh, analytics and the data on like YouTube channels and kind of trying to figure out what it is exactly that's popular and people are watching and stuff. And um, I don't know, like ever since uh, I started my channel, that's just not really been something I've been interested in looking at. I mean, to this day, I don't look at my analytics or anything really. I mean, you're forced to kind of like scroll past like a brief summary of them when you're on your like YouTube homepage or whatever, but. Yeah. Um other than that like I don't dive deep into like who's watching it from what country or anything like that. I just I don't know. Because if you start leaning into trends, you know, then you're not really creating the purest form of like self-expression. You're uh which is art, you're creating to please the masses. It might as well be like a I don't know. Uh a commercial or a TV show or something. Something kind of like designed to
0: be Um, I don't know, consumed by everyone. I feel like if you make stuff that speaks to you, and you stick Mm -hmm. with it, that you eventually find an audience of people, whether that be a big audience or not, but you find like a true audience of people that connect with you on the stuff that you really care about. Whereas if you create for the sake of generating likes and whatnot, then what you end up with is a group of people that will like you for the time that you're doing the thing that they agree with. But then when the trend moves, they move and you either have to keep going with it, which becomes more of an exercise of kind of chasing down um, other people's ideas. And I just, I don't know, I think from like a creative perspective, point of view i find that quite stifling
1: exactly yeah you um you said it i think um i think it's so sometimes when people ask me like what my inspiration is i try and i uh, just tell tell them like look you're better off just kind of figuring it out on your own because you're going to create your own style and you're going to go down your own path that's unique to you and your own creative style don't try and take a photo of something that's been taken you know of a fo- of something that's been taken a thousand times you know, from right. the same angle, try and do something new because you know people have already seen it. Don't you want to be like on the forefront of creating something new? Um, yeah, maybe, maybe not. So maybe some people just want the engagement and recognition.
0: You know, you've done quite a bit of traveling. Um, you've mm-hmm. done the which I'm in- incredibly jealous of. Um, yeah. Where Where do you actually want to travel to that you haven't been to yet for for the photos? Um, I don't know why but
1: I guess lately it's been two places. It's been India and uh, Japan. Have you been to either of those places? No, I haven't. Sorry. No, (laughs) Yeah, it's all right, man. Um, yeah, that's, um, we're kind of planning like a trip to Japan maybe next year at some point. Uh, we'll see. But, um, yeah, India has been on my radar a lot lately too. Um, I don't know. I just like photographing new places. I feel like I've seen, Southern California,
0: uh, at this point, living here for almost 10 years, you know? I mean, you live in a country that basically is 50 countries like combined into one. Do you ever, do you ever have the urge to just kind of buy a couple of thousand dollars worth of, um, film and just rent it or like use your car or rent a car and just drive across the country and just shoot all over the place?
1: Yeah. I always have that urge. I think the, the way that I do it though, is I don't do it all in one trip. I, I break it up. Um, so, uh, there was like a couple, I guess it was a couple months ago before like COVID happened where, um, Caleb and I, uh, my friend Caleb and I, we just took a, we hopped in a car and took a road trip up the, um, Sierra mountains and just like our only goal was to just shoot photos. That was it. And that was like the most awesome experience. That was what I want to do. Always just be on the road and shooting photos and you know stuff like that, so yeah, I definitely have that urge to just cruise across America and take photos and put it all into like a book or something, but it just uh hasn't happened
0: yet. I guess it comes out in like short bursts of trips, you know. Is that down to like opportunity more than down to ambition? I think yeah, yeah, I definitely have the ambition to do it. Um, I just don't have the time at the moment, you know. I think, th- I think the whole world needs to see a YouTube video of you driving cross country with Baxter in the, in the passenger seat. I think that's something that needs to happen. Yeah. Cruising. I think it'd be
1: two hours long or at least like three or four hours long.
0: Uh, that's fine. I've got no, I've got no problem with that. That's like you yeah, said earlier, sure. you know, you work through, um, you work through YouTube, especially like, so I work from home when I'm editing and stuff. And I've always yeah. got, I've, uh, I generally watch horror films when I'm editing weddings, which is kind of a weird mix, but. Nice. <laughs> I don't know why I can't explain it, but it really does go down well. And it, what's strange is I look back at weddings and I can remember what film I was watching when I edited it more than I can actually remember the day, which is, yeah, I think that shows that I might have maybe quite a limited mentality with it. Um, <laughs> but wow. I, I've I've watched a lot of YouTube, especially with with this current lockdown. I've watched all of the YouTube and um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm fine with you producing kind of like three or four hours worth of, of film photography and Baxter in a car. That sounds good to me. Hey, I'm down to do it too. I just, I don't know. I need the time. So what we always do with this podcast is make sure that everyone knows where they can go and find your work. Now, um, I'm going to say this now because I can tell that you're someone that gets quite awkward with compliments, which is super fun for me because I like making people feel awkward. Um, So (laughs) the first thing people need to know is where they can find your YouTube channel, which I'm going to say right now is the, to me, the best uh, photography channel on YouTube. So where can they find that?
1: Oh, well, thanks. Um, The YouTube channel, if you just go to the search bar on YouTube and type in grainy days, all one word, uh, that'll be me.
0: Yeah. Perfect. And then uh, your Instagram and website and whatnot?
1: I don't think... So my Instagram is um, 50 Shades of Jason, but it's all underscores in between (laughs) every word. Yeah, I know. It's stupid. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, I don't think I need to list my website. I don't really use that for anything at the moment,
0: but okay yeah okay well honestly like I said at the beginning it's it's such a such a privilege to have the chance to talk to you so thank you
1: right on man thanks for having me on I'm always down to you know talk about photography and stuff especially with people who are you know just as passionate about it um, as I am so thanks for having me on